So for those who um, are visiting, um, we have been going through Song of Songs, which is an often neglected uh, book from Scripture. And uh, sometimes my children have been sitting in here, and, and I've, I've, I've been listening to some others who have been visiting, and they had the great pleasure of sitting beside their mum and dad while I preach about sex from Song of Songs. And so they came to me and they said, thanks very much, David, that was rather embarrassing, but um, it had to be done. And we've been looking at it as not, today I'll do a slight bit of this, but not as allegorical. We're not, we, we know in scripture we can see God's story to us, but I've been looking at it um, specifically as a love song between, or a series of poems or love songs between um, a man and a woman. Not Solomon, and I, I dealt with that, even though it's called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, or the Canticles, if, if memory serves me right. I've been looking at it as a love song between uh, one man and one woman. And we've been through lots of things. We've been seeing their courtship, their passion, the warning to allow love to just stay where it is until it's ready to uh, mature. We've looked at uh, that court, the, the blossoming of the love, the courtship of the love, the marriage, the consummation of the marriage uh, within that relationship, the disappointments within that. And today we come to uh, chapter 8 and verse 5. And so my prayer is, Lord, that you would um, open this to us, that we would open ourselves up and allow Scripture to read us, and that your will would be done in the name of Christ. Amen. So that's roughly where we're at with the Song of Songs. Um, <coughs> next week is the first Sunday in Advent, so you know. And you will have seen out the front that we are starting to build um, our nativity scene, which again will be larger than last year. There'll be a Christmas tree uh, up outside as well and getting ready for our community nativity, which will be outside on the 17th of December. No worship gathering in the morning. Our worship gathering will be our community nativity. Last year, it snowed just as we were beginning. It was absolutely freezing, but it was, it was, it was magical, I thought. And then we come in for lots of hot refreshments. If it's raining outside, we will be in here for the nativity. And our children and adults are beginning, if not this week, next week, and preparing for that. Okay, let me read this. Song of Songs, chapter 8, starting from verse 5. Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? I'll stop there and just say it is the third time we've been asked this. And then I would contest that every time it's always been the question about the woman. And it's always identified something about the woman. And she comes out of the desert again. Whereas last time she was coming from the clouds, from the mountains. Our picture here is that she's coming from the desert, but she is not alone. The distance that was between the man and the woman has been fixed. They are together because she is leaning on her lover. Whether that means she needs him, of course. Whether that means she's got some sort of infirmity, who knows? But I'm taking it as being that she's leaning, they are together, he is strong for her, and that's where she belongs. Under the apple tree I roused you, there your mother conceived you, there she who was in labour gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, 
like a, a seal in your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. We have a young sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister, for the days she has spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruits a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, O Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. You who dwell in the garden with friends and attendants, let me hear your voice. Come away, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. I confess that before week one, the Saturday before the Sunday I was meant to start Song of Songs, I was not convinced I was going to do Song of Songs. I was so terrified at the prospect of it. I'm glad it's done, but it's enriched. Because we often have um, questions from our children and from those who want to contest us in regards to our morality, sex and marriage and the place of that and multiple partners and all of that. And within songs, we have got a depth and a richness that speaks of the intimacy of one man and one woman. Now, I say that knowing that many of us here have had huge wounds and huge disappointments in that. And I don't do it to condemn. But what we have here, much like our life, is not perfect, but we know God's grace even when we sin and even when others sin against us and even when our paths are all over the place. What we have here in songs is a picture, a wonderful picture of the depth, of the richness, of the life, of the ups and downs, but how one man and one woman together for life is God's plan. And so we know songs a little bit more now. And even though we can't go to a verse that says, well, it says here, and have it in such a binary, straightforward way, the richness of this speaks of the richness of God's heart for us, not just us and man-woman relationships, but us as the bride of Christ and Jesus as our, our, our bridegroom, our groom. So the first um, few verses... Here's just a breakdown of these first few verses from five. So we know who it is. She's coming up and the two of them are together. They're inseparable. And then you have this whole stuff about under the apple tree I roused you and there with your mother where your mother conceived you. Apples have featured quite a few times through songs and it's about passion, raisins as well. It's all about passions and, 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 and desire, etc. Here you have not just a little bit of passion, here you have a tree. It's matured. And so they are together under the tree. And it's a good thing. Passion between a man and a woman is bountiful. 
And that's what you have here. Do you remember how we used to attract each other when we were younger? But now our love has grown. It's not just apples, but it's apple trees. And this is true love. And it's not even just true love for us. The reference, possibly, commentators say to the mother, and, and this is where your mother conceived you, is talking about intergenerational faithfulness. It was the case for your mum and your dad, and it's the case for us. And may it be the case for our uh, children, our offspring, that they know this love, this passion under the tree, because it is a good thing. It's the way God has made and designed us Verse 6 and 7, I'm actually going to say quite a few things about that in five minutes, so I'm just going to jump over uh, verse 6 and 7 where it talks about placing a seal upon a heart. Um, And I'd like to just, uh, well, let me read it first again. So we know, place a seal upon a heart and a seal on your arm. So there's real strength going on there and ownership going on there. For love is as strong as death. It's jealous, it's unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a a mighty flame. This is what love is, and God has made it this way. Many waters cannot quench this type of love. Rivers cannot wash it away. Rivers being things in Scripture, which is chaos. Even the chaos of life need not... uh, automatically wash away that which God has given us. We can see through the waters. Um, um, And if one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned because you can't can't buy me love, as as John and Paul uh, wrote. And so here we come to to verse 8 where there's a question from the the brothers and she responds about the preparation for love. We have a young sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister? What are they saying there? We're basically saying, she is referring back to this time when they looked at her and thought, is she ready? Is she mature enough? Not only is she ready for love, a question that's asked three times in scripture, just to be careful you don't jump into love too soon. Not only are they questioning whether she's ready, they're actually questioning whether she has been faithful, a wall has been round her, or whether she has been promiscuous, a door wide open. So what's going on here in this little song, and they're asking. We didn't know she was ready. We didn't know she was being promiscuous. We didn't know she, if she was a virgin. And her response um, is, is good. She says, I was a closed door and I was a wall. I was a virgin. We often get this thrown at us, not aggressively, but in conversation. Oh, that's just old-fashioned. That's a cultural norm, and that's of the Victorian age. This, and, and we can see in Scripture lots, I mean, look at Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you do the maths, and we spoke about this, if you do the maths and you look at um, how they celebrated weddings in those days, Solomon would have been at his own wedding for four years of his I'm forgetting how many years he, he, was he 20 years on the throne? Memory serves me right. But for four years, he would have been in his own wedding. And so people say, there's lots of multiple wives in scripture. What we are just um, ladled, uh, laden with these days is Victorian bygone stuff. It's not true. 
Jesus affirms to that where he speaks about a woman leaving her, husband, her family and being united with her husband. Song of Spot, Song speaks of this. The epistles continually speak about it as well. And God is gracious. God was gracious even to Solomon. God was gracious to David, a man who killed someone to take his wife. There was consequences of that where the baby died and that, that was directly linked to his sin. We cannot say that at all about other people's circumstances, but we know from Scripture that was David's. There was consequences to him rebelling against God and taking that which was not his. And even all, all the way through David's life of being a warrior king, he was still a man after God's own heart. So there is grace. But we see here again the picture that God gives us which is in stark contrast to Solomon's, that were frequently, you know, the whole thing about Solomon's vineyards, shekels here and shekels there. Solomon, no doubt, was using marriage for political gain. You take the wife of the small king, the king of the, she was a princess of a kingdom next door, and you took her as a bride, and it helped in, in expanding the kingdom. Guaranteed Solomon did this. So love is not to be viewed like that. Something as cheap as money to be, to be sold and to be given away. It's not for sale. And some of us don't know what it means to be a virgin before you're married. We don't. But what we do know is this. Oh, outrageous grace. And I say that again, some of us don't know what it means to be with one person for life and to experience all the ups and downs of that and not really knowing what you're doing and all of that and, and, and maybe going to a book for some examples of how to mend relationships, what to do and, and how to persevere and how to raise children. But oh, outrageous grace. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Even in that sacred bond of love between a man and a woman. And so we can know healing. So that's roughly what's going on there. And, and then finally, and, and this is just very, very, very short. Verse 13 and 14. Um, the man says to the woman right at the end. You dwell, you who dwell in gardens with friends and attendants, let me hear your voice. Come away, my lover, be like a gazelle or a young stag, passionate and strong, and, and the, the, on the spice-laden mountains, often referring to her, um, her body. So they're at home, you dwell, they're at home together. They're flourishing, and remember, who's this coming up from the desert? It's the woman leaning on the man, they're together. So they're at home and they're together in all things, working through it, talking all the time, not letting the sun go down in their anger, lamenting when their children don't do what they would hope their children would do, supporting one another through sickness and through health and through the rich times and the poor times. And it's hard and it's hard and it's hard, but it's God's purpose. And in that, he who has justified us sanctifies us as well. It's very easy to jump ship. It's very easy to give your heart away to other people. One of the reasons why I will not counsel a woman on my own because it's too easy in those circumstances to give your heart or to have your 
uh, desire as a pastor or a shepherd miscued and taken in the wrong way. Because it's so easy to give your heart away, to, to leave it with others. But my heart is called to Miranda. My heart is called to faithfulness. That we be gracious to one another. Together, in our house, I look forward to the day when I have grandchildren on my knee. My children aren't listening to me yet, but I'm looking forward to the day when that happens. So there you go. As quickly as song starts, and it starts very quickly, it ends with them disappearing into the, the horizon. And that's it. It just stops. There's no any happy ever after any of that. You've got him with his head on her chest, possibly, and he's a young stag, and all of those sort of flamboyant words are being described here. With all the gloom, with all the doom, with all the wars, and with all the promiscuity in Scripture, and all the annihilation, here you have, bang right in the centre, a love song. I've often heard people say, not too many in this church, I much prefer the God of the New Testament than I do to the Old Testament. To which I then said, you ain't read the book of Revelation, have you? Because in there you see Jesus returning, not in the way he came, and we're about to celebrate that, Emmanuel, God with us, how he came humbly as a child, squeezing into our skin. You see Jesus coming as the victorious king to judge the living and the dead. And much like the Old Testament is not always just full of doom and gloom, it's full of our history, God's people. And right in there, you've got this book of love that we are meant to learn from and live by, and it's from God. And in Songs 8, 6-7, the woman has a request to her husband. And her request here about having a seal in my heart and sealing her arm. She's requesting, I want complete intimacy with you. I want to be close to you and always be with you and only to be with you. And then she goes on to say something about the tenacious love of lovers and this, the tenacious love of God. And this is one of the occasions I'm going to look at this aragolic, aragolic that word allegorically. <laughs> Place a seal over my heart, like a seal in your arm, for love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were only to give all the wealth, if one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. This is possibly the only place in songs where you have the name of God. The NIV, in my uh, translation I've got here, has it um, like a mighty flame in verse 6, the last line of verse 6. The American Standard Version translates it like a very flame of Jehovah. And the English Standard Version has it as, as a very flame of the Lord, potentially the only time in this old book where God is mentioned. And now the original is a flame of Yah, which some people go away and say, this is maybe a poetic form of Yahweh, the name of God. 
no matter what it is, whether this is a reference to God, the flame of God, the love of God, I'm going to look at it at the very least as it being an almighty flame. Verse 7, that many waters cannot quench this love of God. In other words, the love of God is like a candle in a boat in a storm. The sea is so wide and my boat is so small. Lord, have mercy on me. And that candle is there. And no matter what the, the, the raging torrents, whatever storm it may be that blows against that boat and against that, that light, that light will not be quenched. It will burn too bright. It will burn too hot. Such is the love of God for you and for me. Such is the love of God is for you men and for you women. When I hear the woman here in songs, as I was just dwelling on this as much as I possibly could, it spoke, I had to look at it in this way, it speaks of the love of God. I hear her talking not just about a love, but a covenant love of God, which is a very almighty flame indeed. And as we Christians, we take that covenant love of God and we know it as the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but know and have eternal life. Now a covenant relationship isn't focused on what the other person brings to that transaction. We know this. And maybe some uh, stories, some events in the Old Testament are coming to your mind in that. A covenant relationship is one based on a solemn vow that you uphold at your end. One of the things I will often say after a pause after the marriage vows in a wedding is what God has brought together, let no man separate. Such is the challenge on marriages, the pressure on marriages, and people actively engaged in praying against Christian marriages. But our covenant relationship, the one that I made to Miranda 28 years ago in Presswick in the south side, in the south of, of Scotland, was for that I was going to upheld at my end. I know people who are in the position where their spouse have not upheld their part of that covenant. Too many people of late. And it's a hard thing to journey through. I would hate, I would loathe to have to go through it myself. But again, there is grace in that. Unfortunately, all too often, the thing that happens is this. Not all the time, but often. A couple has been wounded. There's been unfaithfulness of some sort. And there is a split in that love. And before too long, the one who was wounded starts behaving the exact same as the one who was the offending party. Happens all too often. But two wrongs do not make a right. And it's a hard journey to traverse but that is what it means for God's covenant love to us no matter what you do no matter what I do he will always uphold his vows to us I will say that again if this is the only thing we remember 
no matter what we do. God, the Father, because of Jesus, and he ministers this through his spirit into life, will always be faithful because he can be nothing else. Jesus loves us with a, a covenant love. It's a done deal. It's sealed. His love is invincible, facing danger and death. It laughs at the terrors of hell. Jesus' love stops at nothing. It sweeps everything before it. And I love that translation in the Message Bible. It's invincible facing death and danger. It laughs at the terrors of hell. He scorned the cross. He scorned hell and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Not my will be done, Jesus says. Father, not my will, but your will be done. He's always been faithful. And we know that about Jesus, and we know things about ourselves. We would be quite embarrassed to have our life on the screen behind us. It's time up. Game's a bogey. But I want to finish on this. Jesus knows his bride. Jesus Christ knows his bride. Jesus Christ knows what his bride is like. Jesus Christ knows our failures. Jesus Christ knows our weaknesses. Jesus Christ knows when we manipulate what is so clearly his truth to fit in with our truth. Jesus knows the thoughts in our head, the desires in the heart. He knows all of that. Jesus knows his bride. Did I put this up here? I took this. You can go and buy this. Put in the bride of Christ in Etsy, I think it is. And you can go and buy that. So I'm giving it a plug because I stole it off the internet. But that, that, that's it. That captures it for me. Jesus knows me intimately. And he likes me and he loves me. I'm his bride. And that picture is called First Moments in Heaven. And I, I know it's the, the rainbow part at the bottom, but I imagine her legs wrapped around Jesus. And he embraces that. Because the work that he began has been brought to completion in that picture. And we weren't always like that because we know what we're like just now. But such is the love and such is the covenant he's made with us, the seed of Abraham. People of faith that what Jesus has done is enough and we are invited into that. Therefore, coming away from my notes completely, I remind us what we already know about this covenant love of God, unyielding love of God, passionate love of God that laughs in the terrors of hell. And he invites us into that afresh again just now, today. Invites us with our spouses 
into that fresh again today. It's hard to repent. It's easy to repent when we just say it in our heads. It's hard to go to someone and say, can I confess this to you because I need to be held accountable in this. That's a harder thing to do. It's a good thing to do. And I'm not suggesting the way in which the Catholic Church do it in some sort of confessional booth. I'm talking it as I have with a ministry mentor and two, where I go to them and they've got permission to ask me, where's your thought life? Where's your desires? And I've opened myself up to that. It's good to have that accountability. And in our marriages, when they sometimes go pear-shaped, it's hard to come and say, I'm sorry. But it's the right thing to do. God's grace is in there. And when it comes to our walk with the Lord, it's easy just to always ask the Lord for forgiveness in our mind about the repetitive sins that are in our life. It'll be much more beneficial in our journey with him to find something, someone who's older and maturer, who you can trust, who's not got a mouth like the Clyde Tunnel, and to journey with you so that they may hold you accountable with that area of your life as disciples of Jesus Christ. Can we just pause for a moment? And I am going to give lots of space. I've got time. Kids are there for 15 minutes. <laughs> first thing I'd just like to invite you is if there is hardness in your heart towards God, if there is bitterness or shame, for you to, at this moment, ask his forgiveness, ask him for his healing. So I invite you in the silence and examine your heart. my prayer is that we would know intimately something of your love more of that, more of that and more of that Father I pray that we would see victory in the way in which we live that we would submit to the leading of your spirit we would be encouraged in that and that you'd be glorified. And I raise that prickly situation where you are at odds with your spouse. And it may be that you think it's a hill too far to climb. And I invite you just to bring your feelings to the Lord on that. And in the silence... Let him know. And for those who are in uh, marriages, the truth is your marriage is not perfect. God is not done with you yet. And so I invite you again, even if you're sitting with your spouse in the silence, 
invite God to do something new in the love between you and your spouse. And for those who are single, or for those who are widowed, and whether you are giving thanks to the Lord for a love that lasted many years but may be taken away too soon. Pray that you would know God's faithfulness in that journey that you didn't expect to take on your own for such a long time. And for those who have not yet um, experienced that intimacy of love, Father, would you hear the heart? Would you make it possible for them um, to be at peace in this situation? Would you bring that husband or wife in from the cold? Or Father, would you give what they need? In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray.